And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. This time each week, we have our guest line segment brought to you by our good friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, located right there on Highway 82, just west of Greenwood, providing catfish for some of the best restaurants in the country. And this week, we feature one of those great restaurants, Top of the River Restaurant, located on Pickwick Lake in Mickey, Tennessee. They're open for carryout all weekend this weekend, so give them a call at 731-632-3287. That's 731-632-3287. Hey, order what I order, the Riverboat Special. Tell them that Bart and Charlie sent you. That's Top of the River Restaurant on Pickwick Lake, offering great farm-raised catfish from our good friends at Heartland Catfish. And it's time to go to the Heartland Hotline. And Ben McDonald, the analyst for the SEC Network, former big league pitcher, former pitcher down at LSU. And, Ben, Charlie and I are glass-half-full kind of guys. And with all this the social distancing and all the quarantine and everything, the positive right now is it is turkey season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, there is. You know, look, it's uh, you know, we've been talking about this, and, and, and it's terrible for everybody. It's a tough time right now, but there are some positives out there. And I, and I started with, you know, my son being home from college. He wouldn't normally be here, so I'm getting to spend some time with him. I know other people are getting to spend some time with some family members they don't normally. So we're we're like everybody else, trying to make the best out of things right now. And you're right, I uh, I got to go turkey hunting for the first time, and I don't know how long. Uh, you know, last week, and, and me and my boy doubled up on two birds. Oh, Philip Culpepper called in for us, man, and he talking about it. Memories that last a lifetime, you know, and uh, we both got one. We've been doing a lot of fishing at the lake up there and just spending a lot of time outdoors right now, you know. So things could always be worse. I'm thankful that my family's healthy. I hope everybody else out there is staying safe and, and staying healthy as well. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to get back to some normalcy as, as soon as possible. But in the meantime, we're just trying to make the best of things. Talking with Ben McDonald. And ben, we, we talked last week with Buck Walter, who at the time was the manager of the Yankees. And, of course, an AL East counterpart. You were in the Orioles organization in 1994, then in 1995. Now, in 94, they had the season ended. In 95, you had that late start to the season. He talked about trying to manage and get a team ready to play later. What was that like for you guys? What was that like as a pitcher trying to get ready for a season later than normal? You know, there was a lot of challenges about that, you know, and trying to get ready in a shorter spring training. You know, you talked about the 94 deal, you know, we, we had hoped we were going to get back to playing, which where a lot of the college boys were, you know, several weeks ago. And, and so we, everybody went home, stayed in shape during the, during the work stoppage. And eventually the whole season got canceled as well as the postseason. So that was a horrible blow for baseball. And then, you know, in 95, there were challenges of trying to get ready in spring training at a little different time. And, a little bit short in time because it took a while for everything to come together. So there were a lot of challenges with it. There were a lot of guys that got hurt, too, because I remember trying to ramp up and you weren't going to get as many starts in spring as you normally do. Guys didn't have quite as much time to get ready as they normally do in spring training. So it was very difficult to try to navigate, you know, from a manager standpoint, from a player standpoint, to try to get ready to go. Ben, there's been a lot of discussion in college baseball about what do we do with these guys who are going to miss their senior year there's also been discussion about these players who were juniors at Mississippi State. We think of a Jordan Westberg or a Justin Foscue, guys that everybody assumed would go in the draft in June. Now we don't even know if they're going to have one. From a college perspective, what would you like to see with eligibility? And whichever way that goes, what do you think happens to these draft-eligible juniors? 
Well, that, that's a good point. You know, I mean, there, there are so many moving parts with everything that's going on right now. And I don't know what the – my hope is the NCAA will give everybody eligibility back. So the ones that choose to come back can, if a senior wants to come back for his senior year. Now, how do you go about doing that? Well, the NCAA would have to obviously expand roster sizes. They would have to obviously give more scholarships out maybe for one year. So there's a lot of moving parts there. My guess is the players' union will never – you know, there's been some talk that, that we're not going to have a draft this year. I just don't see that happening because I don't think the players' union is ever going to go for that. And the reason is, if you think about it, Major League Baseball would love to do that. They love to group all the guys that were supposed to be in this year's draft with next year's draft and have one draft instead of having a draft this year and next year. But that would also dilute the draft in a lot of ways. So some of these guys like a Jordan Westberg you know, or a Daniel Cabrera at LSU that could be a first-round pick this year that could make a $3 million signing bonus. If you dilute this year's talent with next year's talent, then all of a sudden some of those guys that are going to be first-round pick get pushed to the second round, they get pushed to the third round. They don't make nearly as much money in the draft as we have a normal draft like we always do. So I don't think the players' union's ever going to allow there not to be a draft this year. My guess is there's going to be a draft one way or the other, whether it's in June, July, or August. There's going to be a draft at some point, but there's so many moving parts right now. I don't know if you go from 11.7 to all of a sudden you say, okay, everybody gets 16 or 15 scholarships uh, and, and you expand the rosters by five or six or what you do, but hopefully they're going to try to get all of that taken care of in the near future. We'll have some closure to this in some ways. And hopefully, I, it, it, worst case scenario for me is I hope they at least allow the seniors to come back, the ones that want to, at least allow them to come back for their senior seasons. Yeah, no doubt. And, Ben, the thing about it is if, if you expand the rosters, nothing is going to be perfect. Nothing is going to be like you would like it because all of a sudden now you may have some freshmen that may have redshirted, and they may think that I'm two years away from being the starting shortstop, and that gets pushed back another year. And then you open up another Pandora's box with the NCAA and mulling over the thought process of the one-time transfer. You may have all kind of free agency going on in the next year. Yeah, you're right. It, it opens up Pandora's box. There's no doubt about that. And that's why I just don't know what they're going to do. Because don't forget now, if we if we begin to do that, then all of a sudden the kid that's a senior in high school goes, wait a minute, I got cheated out of my senior year in high school. I want another year of high school baseball or high school sports. And do you open that Pandora's box too and start going down that road too? So there's a lot of moving parts here, guys, and I'm just glad I'm not in charge of you know, from a selfish standpoint, I want to see these seniors. I want everybody to get a year of eligibility back, but I just don't know if that's doable at this point. Talking with Ben McDonald, and Ben, I know you spent your time at LSU in the late 1980s, and you had a lot of glory years, and that was one of the times that baseball began to get big in Baton Rouge. And then you look at Mississippi State during that time frame, 87, 88, 89, I look at that Bulldog lineup, and you had to face Mississippi State during that uh, 87, 88, 89 seasons. When I start thinking about, you know, a, a Pete Young, a Richie Graham, a John Cohen, a Burke Masters, what was it like facing a team like that, one through nine, who may have been as strong as any Mississippi State team ever? Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you always knew when you played State. I mean, Ron Polk is still one of my favorite people ever, you know, and to take a step back, Mississippi State and LSU were the only two schools I ever visited on a recruiting trip. I thought hard about going to Mississippi State because I loved Ron Polk and Bob Boyd was a basketball coach at the time. And, uh, you know, and Mississippi State was doing things back in the mid-80s that LSU wasn't doing from a baseball standpoint. They were going to College World Series and 
that's the whole reason why I visited Mississippi State and thought hard about going there. But at the end of the day, when you grow up 15 minutes from from uh, LSU, it's hard to get away, you know. And then Berkman came in and he kind of turned around the LSU program and, and they started going to some college World Series. So I knew that was probably going to be the place for me. But that lineup at Mississippi State was as tough a lineup as I ever faced in college. You knew it was going to be a battle. And I remember going in there my sophomore year, if I'm not mistaken, and beating Mississippi State, you know, at their ballpark, I think two to one in a complete game effort. And I remember they came to my junior year to LSU and they beat me uh, on a home run. And I can't remember who hit the home run now, but somebody had a home run. I think I lost two to one, you know. And so it's uh, – <laughs> If you know John Cohen could hit, you know, and, and uh, Pete Young could hit, and uh, it was always a tough team. I felt like we had the the pitching depth, and they always had the offensive depth. You know, Ben, you go back to the late '80s. You were one of the guys who was the face of the league as a player. You think about the stadiums then; they were fairly sparse in places. You come now here in the you know 2020. Bart and I talk all the time. We really think you were the the face of the league from a broadcast perspective now and really that positive voice for the league on social media. Now, all of a sudden, though, when you're going in to do that, you're going into some cathedrals. How gratifying is it to you to, to have seen the SEC grow from the time that you were a player to now that you're working as a broadcaster? Well, I appreciate you guys saying that. I, You know, it's, uh, it's amazing to me to see. And, and, look, I'm just happy for the growth period of college baseball. The College baseball continues to be more popular every year and when you talk about leading the way just like in football the sec baseball leads the way across the country no doubt we've had the better teams we got the best league there's no doubt about that and man when you start walking into some of these ballparks now it's like it's like wow you know i mean it, you know lsu built a new one what 10 or 11 years ago and all of a sudden others started to come along alabama and what you guys have done over at mississippi state look i was there for that for that super regional last year against stanford and i don't know if i've ever been in a college environment it was anywhere near that. I don't, and, I, and that's talking about the College World Series, too. That was just a special, special time uh, to be there, you know, and see Jake Mangum's final at bat. And, and, and a young man that's meant so much to a program. I don't know if – and I'm not taking anything away from Will Clark and Palomero and Jeff Brantley and, all, and Bobby Thigpen and Rooker and all the guys. They've mean a lot. But I don't know if a kid that came along – and an error at Mississippi State meant more to a program than what Jake Mangum meant in his four years at Mississippi State. But to witness that and see that, that new ballpark, look, that was that was special for me. You know, you go to Arkansas, you go to South Carolina, Vanderbilt, what, while it's not a big ballpark, what they've done is it's extremely nice. So it continues to grow. You know, the only place really is Tennessee, and it's better than what it used to be when I went there. But, it's, you know, it's still a little bit behind of what everybody else, but they're doing wonderful things over there too. So it's not a bad ballpark anywhere in the SEC right now. Ben, I remember studying the stats as a kid when you were playing baseball, and I was always amazed at the number of innings you threw, but how at the end of the year you were still going strong. Today we get word of a, another major leaguer needing Tommy John surgery. What was the difference in the late 80s when you were throwing a lot of pitches and just kept going, and now we're seeing more and more guys having to go under the knife? Yeah, you know, I, I, you know what's weird for me is in my era – if 10 pitchers went down, it was shoulder issues. So it was a rotator cuff or a labrum or something like that when you talk about the late 80s and, and into the 90s. Now if 10 pitchers go down, it's elbow issues. It's Tommy John surgery. My son just had one five months ago, you know. And so I can't put a finger on why we're having elbow versus shoulder now. Um, I'm thankful that we are because we're getting guys back from elbow surgery at a very high rate, you know, whereas when you have labral issues and 
rotator cuff issues like I did, it, it, it can be career ending like mine was. But, you know, I, I don't know. I know I was a basketball player and I always felt like my legs were in great shape. And I always prided myself on, you know, being able to start a game in the mid 90s with a fastball and end the game after 135 pitches in the mid 90s as well. And it's because I felt like I did a lot of running. My cardio system was in great shape. The game's changed now. If you watch big league baseball and even college, there's not a whole lot of distance running anymore. It's more about explosiveness. It's more about trying to maximize and throw as hard as you can, which we never really did that. You know, our, our idea was to finish what you started. And now they're telling these guys at the collegiate level and, and at the big league level, hey, give me what you got, max effort. If you go four innings, that's fine. We'll bring somebody else in. So the game's changed uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that's one reason why we're having – you know, elbow issues is that, uh, you know, guys are starting to generate velocities at a young age now that I just don't think our, our ligaments and our tendons and our bones and muscles can, can actually absorb at a 14 or 15 year old age. And we're throwing so much now, uh, you know, there's never any off time and everybody says, well, you never got hurt until pro ball, but it was because I played basketball. I played baseball. I played football. I did all those things in high school and growing up. So I never really concentrated on one sport for a long time. And so my arm did have time to rest. Now, there's others out there that say, well, Ben, you threw too many innings, and that's probably led to your your breakdown. And it probably did in some ways as a 20-year-old kid from my sophomore year at LSU to the Olympic team that summer and right back to LSU my junior year, I, I logged 352 innings in about a 16-month period, which we know is way too much. Now we know that. Back then, we didn't know it. Heck, they said, can you pitch? And you said, dang right, I'll figure out a way to go pitch. Give me the ball, you know? And so – as a competitor, you went and played back then. And people say, well, you were abused. And I say, well, I don't know if I'll call it that. I would call me a product of my time because I wasn't the only one doing it. There were other Kurt Dresseldorfer over at Texas through as many innings that I did. There were others around the league that did that as well. So times are always changing. It's evolving. It's like just as many guys are more are breaking down these days, even throwing less innings than what we threw. So I don't know what the answer is. I really can't put a finger on it. It's just different. But I'm glad it's elbow instead of shoulder because elbow, you have a chance to come back. And we're talking with Ben McDonald. And, and Ben, before we let you go, along those lines, if, if you're talking to a, an 18-year-old kid or a 15-year-old kid or even a 9-year-old kid right now is just picking up kid pitch, what's your advice to these kids growing up now to try to maybe curtail some of that? Well, that's a good question, and I get that a lot. I always tell young kids, and I tell their parents more importantly, you know, this travel ball stuff, uh, we didn't have travel ball when I was a kid. You know, we, I, people always say, well, how many, how many games did you play a summer? And I was like, I played about 20 games a year in summertime. They're like, no way. And I was like, that's all we played. You know, we, we played 10 rent games at our local park. We played Babe Ruth baseball. If you made the all-star team, you had to go to district. If you won district, you got to go to state. If you won state, you got to go to regionals. And if you won that, you got to go to the World Series. If you didn't win, you were, your season was done. Nowadays, these kids, if mom and dad's got a little bit of money and junior and them go 0-10 during the regular season, they can still go to the World Series if they want to, if they, can, you know, if they want to put their entry fee in and do that. But I always tell the parents, is, listen, if you think your kid is showing exceptional stuff, he's got a really good arm, Take care of him. He shouldn't be throwing a lot of innings at a young age because what happens is the best player normally plays shortstop. So he plays shortstop for three games, and he comes in, he pitches 80 pitches during the, during the weekend too, and he goes back and he catches and he plays shortstop again. There's a lot of pitches and a lot of throws when you do that. And if you got a kid you think is going to excel one day and he does have a good arm, put him in a situation where a coach actually understands it and he gets it and he's not going to abuse your kid at an early age. Let him throw his, you know, 40. Or, and I always tell people this, 
If your kid's 12 years old, 60 pitches on a weekend once he's in shape is plenty for me. I don't need to see him throw any more than that. But when we get caught up in winning these meaningless travel ball tournaments on the weekend, we end up, we start hurting our kids. And we hurt them in high school. And there's high school coaches out there. God love them. There are a lot of good ones, but there are some bad ones out there, too, that are going to throw junior 100 pitches, 110 pitches, 120 pitches his junior year, his senior year in high school just to try to win a district ball game. And it's not that important. I know it seems like it at the time. Now, if you're a kid that's not going to play at the next level, I get it. Go throw 180 pitches. Go try to win a state championship. I get it. But somebody's got to take the bull by the horns and say, you know what? My kid's going to play at Mississippi State. He's going to play at LSU. He's already committed as a 10th grader. I'm going to make sure he's taken care of. And so get yourself in a situation where your kid's not the only horse on the team, where you got a bunch of horses, and that way you don't ride one, one young man to death. You know. But it's a fine line, and we got to pay attention to our youth out there, and, and, and that's what's going to keep these surgeries down is we got to pay attention. Ben, we'll turn you loose quickly. Box call, pot call, trumpet call, what do you use? Man, I, I kind of got into the box call. I got a little slate call, too. I'm not good enough with the mouth call yet, but I, I'm just learning this turkey hunting thing, man. I'm telling you, I, I, I've never – that was really the first legal turkey I've ever killed. I hope I can say that. I mean, I, you know, I, I've killed a couple of out of season every now and then a long time ago, but we actually called this one up, and I didn't do the call, and I was just kind of sitting there waiting. But that was, I'm telling you what, I can get used to doing that now. I ain't going to lie to you. All right, Ben. Appreciate you, man. Thanks as always. Y'all too. Take care of yourself. So that'll do it for another week of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Our thanks to our good friends down at Farm Bureau. Go to favorites.com. Go to your local Farm Bureau agency. Remind yourself, go online. Use the app, that Farm Bureau app. You can do all your business, your insurance business, anything you need on the Farm Bureau app. So until next week, I'm Bart Gregory for Charlie Winfield saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.